sometimes the way that you win through business is just be a positivity, great attitudes, will to win. And I think that's certainly describes the way that Catherine has won. Um, uh, you'll really enjoy today's episode. She, her in achievements are unbelievable when it comes, pretty unparalleled when it comes to the beauty industry um, and has just a ton to learn from a brand building perspective. So enjoy today's show. Remember, if you like the show, be a friend, tell a friend, leave a review. That's always helpful. Thanks, guys. Explore the minds and marketing strategies behind today's winning brands and businesses. Tap into the power of the creator economy with Earned by Creator IQ. Here's Connor Begley. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Earned. Today, I have Catherine Gore, the global president of Biosance and JVN Hair. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. I am pumped as well. I think I, you know, I thought I knew a lot about you after doing my research, but then when we talked before the show, I found out you were number 22, the number 22 employee at Sephora, which is a pretty good claim to fame. Um, and also <laughs> helped build, obviously, Sephora Collection, Kendo Brands, helped launch Marc Jacobs Beauty, and then got involved with Biosance, helped launch JVN, which are both top 50 brands in both categories. So I, don't, I didn't share these statistics with you before, but Biosance is the number 38 ranked brand in skincare year to date. And then JVN went from number 82 in January to number 48 in August, passing some unbelievable brands in the in the meantime. And I think you also said they are the fastest growing hair care brand in Sephora. Is that right? It's true. Yeah. JVN Hair is officially a year old yeah. and is the fastest growing. And we're expanding globally as we speak. So more to come. Well, so it seems like one of your kind of superpowers is both kind of taking a brand and getting it from very small to very large, very quickly. Is that, do you think that's a pretty good description of what, what you're good at? I mean, looking at your, your track record, it's pretty unbelievable, frankly. Thank you. Yes. I, I do think my passion lies in scaling global brands and I think when a brand is really small and has an incredible idea and has the right DNA, it's, it's a lot of fun to scale those brands because what their, their mission is to bring what they stand for to the rest of the world. And that's what I like to do. I like to, you know, care for those brands and take them to the next level, whether it be, depends on what the vision is, but whether it be global reach or North America growth or whatever it might be, but it's really about taking these incredible brands and just exploding them. And then also building the right teams to be able to do that. So put the right teams in place. And um, that's really the key to, to the growth, but it's, it's been a lot of fun. What do you feel like are the, like, what are the call it three or four key team ingredients to hitting that kind of scale, right? Cause there's a lot of brands out there that I think believe at least that they've got the right DNA, they've got the right products, but you know haven't seen the kind of success when it comes to scaling up. Um, what do you see as the kind of core team? Because you've mentioned team to me in the past and here. Um, what are those? What are those key players like? What and what are they doing that that help you scale? You know, I think the three areas I would focus on there are really around um, digital expertise and e-com. Mm. The second would be around 
product development expertise and making sure there's an incredible pipeline, which is always king, is making sure there's amazing products and global sales. And I think those three in, in connection have a symbiotic relationship to each other and really um, build great brands. So if we if we look at e-com and digital expertise, obviously that's that's critical to any business. But I think specifically core competencies would be just the ability to um, be scrappy and change strategies literally by the hour. I mean, we mm -hmm. are, we say we're always on <laughs> yeah. and we look at our metrics literally all day, every day. And, you know, just creating the right environment that supports that always on mentality. And then the second is really around just a product development pipeline. I mean, we're, we're love beauty and we love products and formulating products. And so the beauty of being owned by Amaris is that we can create those products in a day. Our lab is on site, so we can have an idea in the morning and we can have a sample by the afternoon and we're product obsessed. So we want to ensure we have the best products on the market and, um, that's a very big focus for us. And then the third is just global sales and making sure that we know the the different cultures and the industries and the retailers and we have great relationships and we build those all together. Um, and I think those three are really, really important as from a team perspective. It's kind of crazy that, you know, because I, I don't think that would have been the same answer maybe 10 years ago, right? Right. Like having digital and e-com being in that uh, three-headed, uh, monster, so to speak, right? Like that just wouldn't have been the, wouldn't have been the, wouldn't have been an answer. So it's kind of crazy. It's gotten to that level of importance in terms of launching brands. For sure. For sure. And I think at the, the, the common denominator to all of that is a brand that really knows who they are, knows how they're differentiated from every other brand, um, offers something that really can't be found anywhere else. So that's, that's the common denominator to all of that. And I think, you know, the great thing about the beauty industry is there's so many examples of that. There are so many mm -hmm. brands that bring something unique and different. The pie is so large that there's a lot of, a lot of people and companies that can play from the small founder level to the big empire level. And I think that's what makes it so exciting is that there's so many different players and um, and some can, and in many ways can complement each other to just create this like incredible industry that there really isn't anything like the beauty industry. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a unique industry that we've gotten to know really well. And I think, you know, I think going into it, it's funny when we first started the company, there's a bunch of literature we read that basically said as a company, as a technology company, there's a lot of value in focus, right? Which is there's value, you know, for everybody in focus, but like focus on a particular category where what you're doing is significantly more important, which obviously for influencers and beauty, it was like, well, this is, you know, this is the most important vertical in our, in our opinion, but we actually had a moment early on when we're young and, you know, we, uh, I've never thought about the beauty industry in the past and, I remember looking at my co-founder and I'm like, are we going to be beauty guys? Is this going to be a thing? Like, yeah, <laughs> what we're doing? It's like, a, yeah, I mean, it's the right call. And I remember our first uh, GM who kind of led all the sales for us and she was coming out of uh, Harvard Business School. And she said that was actually the moment that she knew it was like the right company to join. She's like, because you guys chose something that like wasn't your personal interest, but like 
was the right move for the company and then went all in, right? And now know it better than, you know, most people in the world. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a great industry. Um, I so, love that. Well, if it makes you feel better, I was in banking and made the jump <laughs> into beauty. So yeah, I, so, it sounds similar. Um, so, uh, so on that kind of founding team concept, I was reading, I saw some tweet this morning, but from somebody I respect. It's basically like as a founder slash CEO or CEO of your company, as you get further along, your primary job is recruiting, right? Your primary job is bringing in the right people and getting the right people at the table. Um, and regardless of whether that's true, I think I've observed some of the people that I respect in the industry and like come observe that's a lot of what they're doing, right? So if you look at like Scott Friedman as an example, who's the CEO at Rare Beauty, was the CEO at Nix before that. It's like, mm -hmm. I always see him at the industry events. I always see him coming around, hanging out. And it's not very over the top, but, and I could never figure out why he was going. And it's like, oh, because he wants to go, you know, recruit like Katie Welch, who's now the CMO at Rare, right? Like that's why he's out there. And I brought it up to him and he's like, yeah, I see my primary job as like getting the right people in the right spots and then removing as many barriers as I can for them to be successful. Is that one, is that how you think about things? And then two, you know, given that you've kind of emphasized team as a, as a, as a, an important element of success, what's your process for identifying those people, getting to know them, and then eventually kind of working with them? Um, I know it's a sure. few questions in one, but hopefully it, it works. Sure. There's a famous saying that goes, uh, culture each strategy for breakfast. And you've probably heard that before. And I think about it a lot because yes, I am focused on putting, finding the right people, but I'm even more focused on building the right culture mm. and assembling the right people together. And, you know, there's probably a million sports analogies in there that would work about really putting the right team together, but I believe in it wholeheartedly. Um, I also believe in an underdog mindset, just always, you know, you know, striving to win as, as the small guy. Um, but as it's team related, I really look for individuals that, um, that have a natural curiosity for life, a bit of levity to them and are really scrappy and, you know, have that grit that we all look for and just get, you know, that I know will get along really well. We have, as the team knows, um, and, and, you know, I call them the dream team. That's my nickname for them <laughs> across JVN and Biosance. We started with 17 people in 2008 and we have almost 130. Yeah, <laughs> so we've yeah. grown quite rapidly. And in that growth, you have to be very focused on how you spend time with the team and onboard the team. But I, their nickname is the dream team because it's how we all interact together that is the magic sauce. We really love each other as a team. And I want, I, I'm very passionate about promoting folks. I'm very passionate about, um, about my team's growth. I'm very passionate about women leadership. I mean, I think when Reese Witherspoon and I connected, I think she was very drawn to this. I think she felt what we had been um, building, which was this, you know, incredible team that's very passionate about what we do. We've, we're a brand whose heart's in the right place, but it's got to start at every level. And so it's really about the chemistry that I look for. 
And they're not, it's not always in the most obvious spots, right? You know, there's incredible people at all of those events, but sometimes you find the most, the best people in the less obvious spots. So mm -hmm. I really try to keep an open mind about where our team comes from. And, um, and I think I'm, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of is, is this leadership team and this, these teams we've created. And for JVN, it's been in a very short amount of time. So it's been a lot of recruiting. It's in a year. I think we've hired 32 people in a year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... I'm not sure if I misheard. I thought you had said 2008, but you said, I'm assuming it's 2018. You went from 17 to 130 people, right? Like yes. that is 10 X In four than... years. <laughs> yeah, yes. It's pretty crazy. Um, how, do you, how do you manage that? Like, how do you maintain the culture when you are kind of hiring so many people that presumably don't know each other, don't know the history, haven't like, you know, had that time to really kind of bond and become close. How do you, how do you cultivate that? Like, what are some of the methods you use? Yeah, I think, well, certainly the last few years have been different than any of the rest. So we yep. work predominantly virtually, but we get together in person for key moments. And I do think that helps a lot to have those moments where we come together as a team. Um, I think we don't take ourselves too seriously. We keep a bit of levity. Um, we get to know each other personally. Mm -hmm. So there's really, we, we know, you know, there's just, and I think everybody comes in with the, from day one with this headset that, that just everybody's coming from a good place. Yeah. And, um, and then I think it's about celebrating wins and making sure you give teams visibility into some of the fun stuff that we do, like set, you know, make sure people are going to Australia with Jonathan to launch Jonathan in Australia and the UK. I mean, those events and those moments really add up. I mean, those can really be, you know, important memories for teams to be able to participate. And I think it always helps that we're, that we're growing, you know, it's, it's good yeah. to be a part of a growing team and we are very focused on growing. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think all of that comes together really nicely and yeah. uh, it works. I mean, that's one of the primary pieces of advice I give um, younger people, right. When they're looking to make a decision in their career, it's like, well, you know, obviously it depends on what you're, what's important to you, but the advantage of having a company that's growing, say, 50% a year or 100% a year, year over year versus one that's growing 5% a year is that's roughly the rate at which new job opportunities get created, right? So if you're growing 50% right. a year, there's roughly going to be 50% new jobs the next year. If you're growing 5%, there's only 5%. And so what that does is it naturally sucks people into leadership position because there's a preference internally to promote from within versus hire outside if you can. And so at a very young age, you can get a lot significantly more opportunity, right? For advancement, um, which I think kind of snowballs, right? Then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, look at what they've done so far at such a young point in their career. It's really impressive. Now, obviously, um, you know, uh, you want to make sure that you're not kind of over promoting, right? That happens too, where people get in a little bit over their heads. But uh, yeah, I think it's... It, it's always easier when you're on a winning team, right? Winning kind of creates culture as well, which is uh, right. tough to fake. So 
and I think it's good for our teams to see their peers grow and watch they themselves grow. And it just provides a lot of opportunities. And, um, you know, I do, I love to promote from within. So I always look internally first. And I think that's a good rule of thumb mm -hmm. overall. But um, yeah, it, it, it just ultimately just provides these opportunities for people and they can reach their, their own personal goals a little bit faster, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I, what I'd be curious about is, you know, you've talked about kind of celebrating wins, excitement, et cetera. One of the things that I've observed in my career, um, you know, on the kind of leadership side of things is I think early on, I actually like over indexed with positivity, right? Like I had like too much positivity and like, you know, to the point that it felt like I wasn't genuine, right? There weren't any challenges, which there are always challenges in any business. Um, how do you think about that kind of balanced messaging from a leadership perspective, you know, being able to talk both about, yes, these are the things we're excited about, but these are the things that we also have to work on. How do you, how do you think about that? How do you approach it? Sure. It's really important to have the right strategic plan for both brands. I mean, there are deliverables that are required and measures, you know, the measurements in place are absolutely key. So I think with the right strategic infrastructure, there has to be accountability for the teams in terms of what needs to be delivered. Now, you know, the famous saying is you can catch more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. But, you know, so you go about that in a positive way and you lead what it leads to is empowering the teams and individuals to do their role. But the but the metric, but the deliverables are still there and they don't change. And there has to be, you know, some element of accountability and seriousness to those deliverables. So I think it's, I think it's a balance, but, um, and, you know, I wouldn't say it's always, it ebbs and flows, you know, because nothing's perfect and there's always obstacles. And certainly we're the same, especially when a brand, brands are growing so rapidly. I mean, it's like, you know, just keep, the, the keep up part of it is incredible. So yeah. it's like, you know, but at the end of the day, what, what you always want to provide is a psychologically safe environment, you know, that people feel like there's, you know, that they feel that they're in a good place, um, you know, and, and then balance, balance that positivity with the deliverables that need to happen at the same time. But it's an art form. Who knows? You know, I don't even I don't know if ever anyone's ever perfected it. I think it's probably <laughs> most leaders biggest challenge. <laughs> well, you're, but, you're always going to have people that prefer more of one than the other. Right. So sure. it's, um, in a lot yeah, of ways, and I, think I, I try to lean into the individual and understand sort of how I I really try to find the 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 superpower in everybody, you know, and not try to make people something that they're not. You know, I think that's the other key. Honestly, I think it's been one of my biggest learnings in my career. And I've talked about it on here a few times. It's just, you know, like I remember talking to my co-founder and I was like, I really need to take over. You know, I really need to get better at this. Like, I'm not very good at it. Like, And he's like, why? It's like, why do you need to get better at that? He's like, there are other people that are really good at that. Like, let them do that. Right. And like, do exactly. what you are truly special at. Right. Like, focus on that. Um, And it's like. I don't know. I've had a couple of light bulb moments connected to it. And it's like, like emphasize people's superpowers and then like try and put in things that, you know, uh, 
protect them in case their their weak spots right kind of come up so exactly exactly i love that story yeah so let's talk a little bit about kind of this direct to consumer versus retail space a little bit because obviously you grew up in retail i mean you know you got to see sephora uh, really become what it was what it is today um but then today, you know, you mentioned like digital and e-com, right? Direct to consumers, a critical skill set for you in terms of launching a brand. So one of those dynamics that I'm very curious about your opinion on is, you know, there's a lot of brands today where they have, you know, historically the model was go to retail, then, you know, start selling direct to consumer afterwards. And now it seems like that's kind of reversed where it's like, you know, build your audience, build a community online. That way, when you go to retail, you can actually drive traffic, you can, you know, and, and drive real revenue. Um, how do you think about that? Like, what do you think is important yeah. when it comes to launching a brand and the interplay between uh, kind of e-com and, and retail? Great question. I think, well, certainly Biosance was an early adopter of starting with D2C. Biosance yeah. is five years old and began with D2C. That was the main objective. Later expanded into Sephora and other obviously now global retailers and beyond. And JVN Hair is very similarly. I think it's, you know, it's really the yin and the yang. And I think they each complement each other in different ways. But I do believe it starts with a strong D to C business because it's the most concentrated interpretation of your brand. When, when a brand goes into a retailer, there are selections there. There are other brands, there's choice, you know, and the consumer is navigating that environment and it's a beautiful environment for a lot of things like experience and education. At the same time, there's really no replacement for one's own D to C and yep. how a brand comes to life. I mean, it's like your house. It's like welcoming somebody into your home. And I think for, for Biosance in the early years, we not only started with D to C, but we gave a, away a lot of free samples. So the way the brand made a name for itself in the early years was that you could go on the site and choose free samples and we would ship them for free, a big selection of samples just to try the brand. And that worked really well to, in terms of getting the name out there in the early years, starting from ground zero. And I think uh, now it's obviously a much different strategy, but it did, it did sort of all originate with D2C. So I think we can't really underscore enough the importance of that. Mm -hmm. um, that said, I think there are so many incredible beauty retailers globally, um, you know, from Sephora to Tmall to Space and K and beyond. And they each bring such a special magic sauce in terms of what they provide and how they want their consumer to experience and absorb their brands. Um, and so you can't really replace that experiential piece either. So to me, it's really the yin and the yang. Yeah. I mean, you look at the data. I remember when the pandemic first happened, there was, you know, all of these people shouting about this acceleration in e-com, how it jumped 10 years. And it did for a period of time. Since then, it's gone right back to the to the mean, right? Right back to the, to the uh, kind of historical growth curve where it's like, People are buying e-com at just a slightly higher rate than they were two years ago, which is right in line with what they would have done anyways. 
it's kind of crazy to see it, uh, to see it come back. Right. And, um, anyways, so one of my questions, obviously you spent a lot of time, not just at Sephora, but within the kind of LVMH empire, which, you know, is, um, I find when people get involved in these, uh, really well-run kind of, uh, <laughs> empires, wrong word, but businesses, um, you know, you don't, you don't really want to leave, right? Cause you can move to different brands. You can move to different markets. You can try different things. Obviously Kendo is a really exciting experience kind of within that. Um, but then, you know, you decided to leave, right. For, for, uh, for, uh, Biosance and now eventually JVN. Um, what was it that motivated you to leave and get involved with these brands? Like what was, what was exciting about that opportunity specifically? Yes. So this story, this story goes a few years back when in my early years at Sephora, I was, Sephora was my dream job. I worked for Sephora for almost 18 years and I truly believe every day I woke up, it was a, a dream job. And I feel that way now, even more so. At the same time, I had a very strong passion for um, oceanic preservation and sustainability. And so in the very early years, in the early 2000s, my day job was being a Sephora merchant. And in the evenings, I would cross the Golden Gate Bridge and I would go over to the Marine Mammal Center. And in the evenings, I would volunteer at the Marine Mammal Center. And that was taking care of seals and <laughs> dolphins in some, I mean, you couldn't have had more, two more opposites. And honestly, back in those <laughs> days, it seemed so, I, I didn't share it a lot because I thought, well, it, you know, here I'm like a beauty maven by day and a, a, a seal rehabilitator by night. And <laughs> it was... But it really filled my my soul, you know, and I think it's a good lesson in, you know, always just doing multiple things that bring you joy. And I just have always been involved in oceanic preservation. So I was on a board for an oceanic preservation nonprofit ultimately, but it all sort of started with the Marine Mammal Center. Shout out to the Marine Mammal Center. And as my career went on, I when I was introduced to Amaris and Biosance and I was at Kendo, I realized almost instantly that what Amaris is doing with biotechnology and creating ingredients in-house, truly the most sustainable effort in beauty yet, that I had to be a part of it. And it was really that cross-section of my two loves, which are beauty and oceanic preservation and sustainability, that drove me to do that. And I felt that, you know, what's beautiful about Amaris and Biosance is there when you're small, you can create big change overnight. So Amaris and Biosance at the time were smaller and they could, they had started with a blank canvas so that when they were building their company, they could paint it the way that they wanted to see it. And that was over, over indexing on this sustainability, not just from a packaging um, perspective or an ingredient perspective, but literally at every step of the way up to and including the gas that is put off by our plant actually fuels the plant itself. I mean, there is a beautiful sustainability message to this company. And I felt I had no choice but to be a part of it. And I'm so glad that I am because it feels like something I could make my kids proud of, or my, you know, one day my grandkids proud of or whatever. It's, it's at a different level for me. And I, 
I just love creating that change in an industry that I already adored so much. Yeah, I would imagine it'd have to be a pretty big pull to get you out, out of that. Uh, Elf, out of that. I, I absolutely love LVMH and I think they've done, they do a beautiful job with brands. And um, that was such an incredible experience as well as building Kendo. I mean, those, those were just incredible years with these brands. Um, but I, I really felt like I wanted to just lean in just a little bit more um, towards sort of the biotechnology and the sustainability piece. Yeah, makes a ton of sense. Well, let's talk about influencers. That is, after all, the space that we're in. I get criticized every once in a while, like, you're going to talk about influencers? I'm like, well, I mean, that's, there's so much fun stuff to talk about. So <laughs> let's talk about that. So let's talk about it for a minute. And we'll talk about influencer-led brands first, and then we'll talk about influencer kind of marketing itself, like as a brand. So I think for me, one of the more interesting elements of your career is your either exposure or direct involvement with a number of incredibly successful brands centered around an individual that often would be labeled, you know, either an influencer or a celebrity, et cetera. Whether that's, you know, obviously you worked on Marc Jacobs Beauty, then you've got, you you know, within Kendo, you had Fenty, you had Kat Von D, then you've obviously had JVN here, right? Um, each of which has been centered around an individual and has gone on to be very successful. Um, uh, so what is it, you know, now with that being said, I think you also helped to spur this explosion in like, you know, if there's one more celebrity skincare brand launched, you know, I'm going to, our team loses their, their marbles every time it happens. <laughs> um, so like what, uh, and then, and most of those have failed, right? The vast majority of those have not seen the same level of success as the brands you've been at least exposed to. So what do you think are the ingredients that lead to a successful brand launched around an individual, particularly those that have, you know, a presence online and possibly what are the, what are the pitfalls? What are the mistakes that you've seen people make? Sure. I think it's extremely important to most of what I do is listen at first. I think it's really important to listen to an individual um, or a celebrity and really understand what it is, what is their goal? And in listening, I think it's, it very quickly leads to, there's a difference between celebrity and expert. Mm. For Jonathan Van Ness, I really think it's about his expertise in hair. All of his adult life has been as a trained hair professional. So I think it's about really, while he might have influence, it's really about his expertise. In addition to that, he's incredibly knowledgeable around sustainability and ingredients and passionate, obviously, with his show shows. And I think there's just something about really making the distinction about, you know, between influencer and expertise. At the same time, it's usually by the time you get to that point, it's really the consumer that also is craving more from that particular individual or that particular individual's expertise. So they're, they just have been asking for something, you know, whether it's Jonathan Van Ness and a hair brand, you're usually also answering, hopefully answering a consumer call. Cause at the end of the day, that's really king is what, is this something that the consumer really is looking for? Is this something that he or she wants? And then I think it's about, 
making sure it doesn't feel like a sea of same. It, where is the differentiation? And how is it differentiated than everything else that was out there? I mean, when I can remember when we first met Kat Von D, there really, we, the very first meeting was at her tattoo shop in LA in May of 2008. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it was a long time ago, but it was something that felt completely fresh and unique to the beautyscape at the time. The idea that this extremely talented tattoo artist would then go into beauty and she happened to be a huge beauty junkie. I mean, I, her, her beauty closet was incredible. So that mm -hmm. artistry that she put into tattooing had cascaded into other areas and it was a natural fit. It felt natural. And I think with Jonathan, it's very, you know, it feels so natural. He's obviously inspired a huge community of people through Queer Eye and is very well trained. I mean, he trained at the Aveda Institute and it's just about bringing their vision to life in a way that feels like you're changing the game. And that's very special. I mean, what an honor to be able to do that for people and do it in a way that feels kind of fresh and unique and ownable. And so we all, that's what we always do, you know, and for Jonathan, the tagline, I can remember the meeting where we came up with the tagline for the brand, which is come as you are. And it's that tagline because Jonathan lives that. I mean, if you go on his Instagram on a, on a given morning, you'll see him dancing in his underwear with pouring while pouring coffee. And it's just my favorite moment of the day because it just <laughs> expresses exactly what he means, which is come as you are. And then partner with that incredible formulations that are, by the way, totally clean, where hair is, you know, getting there on the clean, on the clean, um, clean and very efficacious um, train. But I think it's just a really good trifecta of a beautiful brand. And so that's really what, what I've always tried to do is just listen and give, come back with something that is totally differentiated and unique and different. Um, yeah. and it's fun. Yeah, I'll have to, uh, it sounds like a fun person to work with both obviously based on observation and, uh, I'll, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to follow him online. Uh, that sounds like a good way to start your day, right? Like, uh, <laughs> so, not to mention he's incredibly funny. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, obviously you've seen a lot of success in influencer marketing um, you know, obviously the Kendo brands were all very successful. And then, you know, um, more recently with Biosance and with JVN and this, again, in a lot of ways, it's great to have Jonathan involved, but really, you know, when we're saying that JVN successful, it's, there's thousands of creators talking about the brand, not just him. Um, so what have been the tactics that you've seen work well there for yeah. brands? Like what's the approach, what's the philosophy when it comes to kind of working with you know, creators that are not the brand founder? Like, how have you approached that? Yes. The secret sauce, I believe, is in connection. So mm -hmm. most of the influencers at the medium to top level that that we sign on, first of all, we go direct. You know, we really yeah. try to manage those relationships directly. But I've had dinner with most of them or had a session where I meet them and I know their kids' names. I know, I just, I genuinely care about our influencers and I genuinely appreciate that they're creating content and how much 
what a job that is. Talk mm-hmm. about always on and 24 seven. That is on another level in terms of putting content into the universe. And I genuinely want to get to know them, whether it's Mama Shocks or Ami Song or Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. And I feel a deep connection to what they're, they're um, going after. And I feel, I also feel like we, we are not so different from one another. You know, we, especially in beauty, typically when you're having a conversation with someone in beauty, you can get really excited about products and formulations and you share a, a bond over loving beauty. And so I think connection is the key. And that's, you know, been a great, that's been great for us is just really connecting on a deeper level and getting, and getting to know people. And then I think it's about, you know, just again, having a brand that has a point of difference that feels unique and and different and that they, they understand it and that they get it. And I, I do feel a lot of our influencers are proud of Biosense and what it's accomplished. And I think they're excited to be along for the journey with us because, there's so much to celebrate and the brand has made so many strides with regard to sustainability. And now we're doing the exact same with JVN hair. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think they, I can see when it clicks for people and you know, when we tell the story of, of Biosance or JVN hair, I can kind of see when the light bulb goes off and it gets me excited, but I, I think connection is the key, true connection. Yeah. I mean, I think it does come down. I think what you mentioned is what we've seen really consistently, which is it's a combination of relationship, right? Like, do you have a relationship and what is the strength of that relationship? And then product, right? Do you have something that's worth talking about that they're willing to put their reputation on the line and support? Because again, going back to your kind of comments on Jonathan and expertise, we've seen the same things, right? Like, you know, it's, uh, it's very hard, you know, even like a, um, Jennifer Aniston in living proof, right. She was a face of living proof for a long time and it helped. It certainly wasn't like a negative thing, but it's very different than Jonathan being involved, right. Jonathan has made his career in here. So for him, you know, this is like, he knows it deeply. He uses it every day. He's perceived as being an expert in the category. The people that follow him are deeply interested in that product as a category. And so it just, you know, um, even in a case where you've got Jennifer Aniston, it's almost perfect alignment with living proof in terms of an ambassador relationship. And it wasn't negative by any stretch of the imagination. Right. I think that this can be very powerful, right? Uh, as, and a, as a combination. There's a, there's a large community of people that instantly connect with come as you are. Yep. So whether everyone has gone through their, has their own story to tell, they have their own journey, they've gone through things or, or they feel that they there's a pull to want to express yourself as you see yourself and not have to necessarily always you know stand up to the societal pressures of what beauty might mean and so i think come as you are just at a very instantaneous level connects with a huge community of people and i think it feels very refreshing in the beauty industry which can sometimes you know be in a good way, more aspirational, but sometimes has that negative connotation of you must look a certain way or do a certain thing or be a certain way. And I think this is like a breath of fresh air. So now then you go to the other layers of the onion, which are the ingredient story around Hemi Squalane and the clean story, and then Jonathan and everything that he's built. And 
the sustainable packaging with all aluminum. And then it's just, why not? I mean, I have to have these products because they are speaking to me. And from an influencer perspective, I think as they think about their personal brand and where their vision is for their own brand that they're developing, those two brands fit well with a lot of the current thinking, which is more sustainable and, and more responsible, I would say. So I think it's, it's good that it can be, um, it's a, then in many cases, it's a natural fit between yeah. influencer and these brand and the brands. For sure. Okay. Well, let's do one more question and then we'll do one fun end of show question. Okay. Um, so the last question I have, and I've asked this last few times, I just really like the answer because it's different every time, you know, you've achieved an incredible amount of success in your career in a very short period of time. Right. And now, um, you know, obviously leading to very successful brands and, and, and et cetera. So if you had to give advice to kind of younger professionals that are listening in, um, that, you know, want to kind of achieve the same things that you've achieved, what would be the advice that you'd give them? Let's see. It's a good question. I think so, so many pieces of his pieces of advice come to mind. But I think I'll tell a story and then I'll give the advice. But I think um, when I when I when I first started at Sephora, I was in a very entry level job. I took the first job that I could get. It was extremely entry level. And ultimately, I got to a place where I wanted to be a buyer, a merchant. And at that time, there were, you know, 15 candidates. Most had MBAs. There was no chance I was going to get this because I was just entry level and um but my heart was in the right place and i was already in the in the company and so what i did was at you know after hours <laughs> pretty much on the nights i wasn't working at the marine mammal center um, but i did i worked with it to teach me all of the systems at sephora so i gave um the, the, the gentleman from IT, I gave him free products so he could give it to his wife. And then he spent a couple extra hours with me and taught me the systems. So when I went head to head, I batted for myself by saying, I know all the systems. And when I, and then I, and I did because I had gone one step further and whether that's, I have always gone, tried, <laughs> tried to go one step further. And I think that's the key. Always be, keep an air of positivity, always assume the best and always go just one step further. Um, and when I got that job, this was 20 years ago, the comment was, you're not the most qualified, but we believe you will be the most talented and we're gonna give it to you outside of all these 15 people. And I think it's just, you know, and there's plenty of stories that where, you know, something didn't work out, but I think there's a lot of stories where it did. And I think that you just have to go one step further than everybody else and keep, you know, keep your vision quite tight and close and always be curious and positive and things will go well. They do work out in the end. Yeah. You're not going to see every single, I mean, it's like, I think people sometimes have a hard time with like, well, I tried this and it didn't work. It's like, well, I think in some ways, you know, I started my career on the sales side of things. It's like, you realize it's like, it doesn't work out every time. Right. But like, not every time. 
you know, if you're winning 50% of the time and the average person's winning 25, like you're killing it. Right. Like, and, um, and yeah, and I really align with that kind of one step further concept, which is to say that, you know, just a little bit more, right. That little, little bit, bit more. I mean, I think out. it's how great football teams are, are made, you know, they a little bit more. Or the war, the Golden State Warriors are great. Sorry, these are going to be all Bay Area examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm a Bay Area girl, <laughs> but I think the Golden State Warriors are a fantastic example of that. It's one step further, you know, and in their case, quite a few steps further. But it's about the team energy, the team dynamic, one step further, yeah. and that goes a long way. Yeah, makes sense. So, last uh, question, just a fun one. So, if you had to start a brand. That was uh-huh. not in the beauty space. Uh, what kind of brand would you start? I wouldn't start a brand. I would probably write a book. Ah, okay. What would the <laughs> uh, what would the book be about? What would be the the kind of main themes? Probably a young girl in the beauty industry. <laughs> there you go and just bring it full circle oh you got to um well i really appreciate you taking out the time today i had a lot of fun i know people learned a lot i learned a lot and uh yeah wishing you continued success at bioscience and jvn and um excited to see you take those into the next kind of really big global brands thank you connor i so appreciate it what a great session thank you awesome thanks Catherine. bye be a friend, tell a friend, and subscribe. Earned by Creator IQ. Creator IQ is your all-in-one solution to grow, manage, scale, and measure your influencer marketing program. Ready to unlock the power of the creator economy? Get started with a demo today at creatoriq.com.